You might be wondering if we're talking about personality, what Psalm 27 has to do with personality. Well, I picked it because in it we get a glimpse of the personality of King David uh, who wrote that psalm. Uh, we can pick up certain things about him uh, as it comes there. We pick up here and elsewhere that, uh, that David was a man of great passion and exuberance, and we see it in the Psalms, uh, that David was a man who was unafraid to express emotion. Some men are, not King David. And he's expressing it in this psalm in a very positive way. And then we see in some of his uh, psalms also expressed in a, in a negative way, those psalms that are actually kind of attack psalms that we call imprecatory, as well as the psalms that are, speak of a sadness and a loss, the psalms of lament. And David uh, lets his emotion show through that. As we get to know the life of David, not only in his psalms, but also in some of the historical books of Scripture, we find that he was a, a person who was um, uh, seems to thrive on contact with others, so it's likely uh, that he would have been labeled a, an extrovert in his day. And his psalms show, them, show him to have sort of an intuitive sense of meaning of things. He, he ponders things rather than one who just judges on facts alone, and that's sort of a personality indicator too. While he was a man of many gifts and abilities, his psalms shows his ability to find a singular focus on God. He is, after all, described in Scripture, the only man described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. David was a great and visionary leader. He was a strategic thinker. Uh, He was the one that got the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem to establish that as the place where God would be worshipped, that it would then be the center of Israel. But the David we meet in Scripture is also this man of deep feeling who made decisions often driven more by emotion uh, than by calculation and reason. Now, that's another personality indicator, isn't it? Decisions made based more on emotion than on calculation and reason. Those are personality traits. Um, He's an extrovert. We talk about extroverts and introverts, sensing and judging and having intuition or looking at only the facts. And they all play their parts in how we're wired up in our personality, right? It made me think about other Bible people, and I looked at a lot of uh, different things. In the New Testament, um, Peter is kind of an easy one. You know, we, he, he gives us lots of material for a personality study as we read about the Apostle Peter. But especially when we compare him with his brother Andrew. Peter was high energy. He was outspoken. He was impulsive. He was passionate. He was a leader. And he clearly was an external processor, as we would say these days, right? Do you all know who external processors are? Who's talking to you right now? Who's processing things even as I babble up here, right? Uh, There's internal processors, internal, and Peter was clearly external. And when the Holy Spirit got a hold of him in Acts chapter 2, he becomes a dynamic leader in the early church. But he may not have ever come to Christ if it weren't for the quiet, behind-the-scenes action of his brother, Andrew. Andrew met Jesus first on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and then he brings his brother Peter and introduces him. Then Andrew seems content then, from then on, at least what we get from Scripture, he seems content to play a more steady, consistent, helping role behind the scenes among the disciples. Both brothers serving the kingdom, both brothers very different in their personality, but both of them serving the kingdom in very different ways. Back to the Old Testament, I've always been intrigued by the prophets, and especially Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They're wired in such a way, they had to do some crazy things. They had to say some horrible things to the people of Israel, and they had to do some symbolic actions that were really downright weird. But these are two guys that clearly did not care what people thought about them. Some people are driven by that, always about, how am I coming across? How am I being received? And these guys just served God and just were weird for God. 
Ezekiel especially is one who shows the deep signs of what we would call melancholy. As he writes and we get to know him, he feels things deeply. He feels painful things deeply. And Ezekiel is one who is even prone to depression. And some have done studies on really the mental health of Ezekiel. But he's one who shows that that's the way he's wired. And he was used powerfully by God. How about Noah? I'd say Noah was faithful, factual, and precise. What about Esther, Queen Esther? We first meet her as rather reserved, modest, quiet, humble, self-controlled, and hidden, but with these incredible inabilities to take risks and to plan in an elaborate way, in such a way that she literally saved the people of God from genocide at that point in history when they were in exile. Moses, Moses was a conflict avoider. Anyway, I know that type. And he was a reluctant leader, but he was essential to the unfolding of God's plan. Jacob, I was just reading about Jacob the other day. Jacob was a manipulative, scheming, self-promoting man, wasn't he? Oh my gosh. I just read through the whole part of him and Esau and stealing the birthright and fooling his dad and the hairy thing and all that. It's like, I mean, he was really kind of a jerk. He was also an amazingly patient man. And God used him for a key role, a key role in salvation history. Mary, the mother of Jesus, I call her an internal processor because we read of Mary that when this angel told her all these things, what'd she do? She posted it on Instagram. No, it says that she pondered them in her heart. Barnabas, I've always loved Barnabas because Barnabas has a nickname. What's his, who knows Barnabas' nickname? The Encourager. Barnabas the Encourager, yeah. And he's always inspired me, but I have this feeling that Barnabas was also a people pleaser. I'm just thinking, anyway, because I relate to him so well. The Apostle Paul, frank and decisive. With those decisions uh, all made on the basis of his, everything was around Scripture and truth. Even when he was a Pharisee killing Christians, everything was based around his, his view of, of what God wanted him to do. And then when he was captured by Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he used it to serve the kingdom. Though he was passionate, he did not allow emotion to play as much of a role in his decisions and actions. It's been asked, is Paul an extrovert or an introvert? He did a lot of bold things, but there's other characteristics about him where he perhaps was an introvert. We don't know. It's a hard call on Paul. Okay, and here's the big one. Jesus. What's his personality type? What is Myers-Briggs letters? Anybody know? Well, there's there's those who would say Jesus was all of them, okay? (laughs) Jesus, the son of man. Jesus, the representative man. Jesus, the word become flesh. Jesus, the perfect human. And perhaps he did, in fact, encompass all these. He was fully human and powerfully used by God. But we want to talk about it a little bit today is you. And questions about your own awareness of your personality style and seeing it as how God has wired you and wired you for ministry. It's all part of your shape that we've been talking about these weeks. S being spiritual gifts, H being the heart and the passion Last week, Pastor Diana talked about our abilities. Today, we hit personality next week, experience. And we've added a week on the end to try to put some of this together and tie it back into what God is doing in and through the body of Christ to change the world. So that's where we're going. 
And we've been saying this each week, that God has created and shaped each of us as unique individuals in his image, including the ways in which he has prepared us, wired us, and gifted us for service and ministry. Together we are discovering God's shape for each of us, and today we explore personality. I want to take just a little bit of time to look at some of the things that are out there, some of these profiles and inventories and tests. There's a lot of them, and it can be overwhelming. And some people actually can get a little too wound up in them. And, well, you maybe have met some people that get really obsessed with the whole personality indicator thing. I don't know about you. Uh, and everybody and seen everything through that. So it would be like me going, hi, I'm Scott Gillen. I'm an ES, ESFJ. This is my wife, Megan, who's really wired as an ENFP, but then through her work, she's really become much more of an ENTJ. Oh, you speak Enneagram? I'm a nine. This is my wife, the three. You get it. Some of you get this, and some of you are going, have no idea what I'm talking about. But some people get a little obsessed by this. But personality profiles sometimes can help us in the area of some self-awareness and knowing why we're different from other people and knowing why we're attracted to certain things. They can get some direction as to where and to how and to serve Jesus and his mission. And let's remember that that's what this is really all about. Serving Jesus, serving his mission, changing the world really one life at a time. Several of the popular uh, inventories out there uh, all group around four types. There's lots of things that fit in four types. I remember several years ago we did a retreat with our Board of Spiritual Life up at, uh, at Covenant Harbor for a couple days. And we brought in a facilitator to help us with some of that. And she led us through a process where she had us answer a whole bunch of questions and then it equaled some numbers and it put us in four areas where she had us stand in the four corners of the room. And these were the four types. They were, let me help you, let's go, let's be careful, and let's stay together. Can you kind of think how those might be sort of different, you know? The let's go are those creative, you know, let's, let's make a difference. The let's be careful, those are the calculating, I make my decisions. I can remember who's in that corner. I won't say it right now in front of this room. I just want to say that those of <clears throat> us in the let's stay together corner had the most fun of all four groups, so. <laughs> Other profiles that use four types would, would be this one. This, there's one that was used by some conservative Christian writers and counselors a few decades ago, and these are, these are the four types. Choleric sanguine, melancholic, and phlegmatic. I don't know, but those always sounded like diseases to me. (laughs) Maybe it's cholera and, can I say phlegm in church? I don't know. I just, uh, they just, they were not helpful to me, but to some they are. Animal lovers? Any animal lovers in the room? Okay, a lot of us are animal lovers. Good. Uh, This one uh, categorizes you. Oh, there's the animals. Aw. But the next slide shows uh, categories of being a lion, a beaver, an otter, golden retriever. And you can see some of the descriptors up there if you can make that out on the screen. And they sort of, again, fall into really a little bit of the let's go, let's stay together, let's be careful, let's, um, let me help you. And so uh, these are some other ones are the go-getter, promoter, examiner, nurturer. There's another one that says you can be a director, socializer, thinker, relater. The next slide shows just some of those kind of categories as well. So, uh, and you can see some of the, 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 the on the side here, slow pace, fast pace, task-oriented, people-oriented. And you can kind of get a feel for where, where you might fit in some of those areas. In church leadership circles, uh, many of us lately have been rather taken uh, by the nine types, the nine types of the Enneagram. Who's heard of that? Who's heard of it? Okay. Who, this is the first time you ever heard of a Enneagram, whatever it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's different. It's actually an ancient um, system. Uh, it was rooted in ancient spirituality, not all Christian spirituality. Some of it's Eastern, but there's evidence of way back some of the, the monks and others who kind of related to this Enneagram. And it's nine types around a, a circle, and they connect to each other and stuff. 
But um, even if it's been used in other circles, Christians, in a sense, have, have redeemed this and seen this as another way, another way of seeing perhaps how God has wired us. Uh, it's redeemed it to be a good use for insight and awareness and, and so that we can be better and more effective in service. Um, I sent out a link on, on, on Friday, uh, like a number nine types.com. Did anybody do that? Anybody? Okay, all right. Well, I encourage just number nine. I didn't put it on here, but nine types.com. It kind of can be a little introduction to these nine types. Um, I know Megan and I have been that before because it, it's really helped Megan and me to, uh, in terms of our awareness of each other. I remember one night we were in bed and I had my iPad and I was looking at all the kind of the annoying things that not, number nine, I'm a number nine, that the nines do. And I, did, and I just pointed to her and she was quite aware. Uh, that those were annoying things. I just, I just want you to know it, 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 it fits. So anyway, um, uh, but here on our staff for Diana and Kayla and me, and when Drew was here, it was very helpful for us to understand our, our types. Uh, in our extended family, as we, our four children have found part, life partners to, not everybody has done this, but for some of us, help us to understand why we're reacting in certain kinds of ways. It's not only been helpful then for self-awareness, but it's helpful for for really for other awareness, a better understanding of how other people, to work with people. It really helps you when you're on a team or trying to work as a family on a project or whatever to understand, well, they need some time to do this or they're coming at it this way or there's somebody that's going to look at the facts. They're going to bring emotion to this. They're obviously a leader and need to be in a take charge position. It helps with some of those kinds of things. Now, I, I listed the nine there, and I totally, in your, the bulletin, I totally left the numbers off, and they are in numerical order, and that's, that, so the, 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 there they are. The one is the reformer. There's a lot of different names for them, and there's actually positive and negative names for each one. I only share mine because I don't want to name anybody else, but I'm the number, number the nine, the, the peacemaker down there at the, the end, and uh, the peacemaker is also the avoider and the avoider of conflict. So I don't want to talk about that, so let's talk about the rest of this. So, uh, But seriously, the, the reformer, the perfectionist there, I do everything the right way. The helper, giver, I must help others. Pastor Diana shared with you last week that she has the gift of mercy, and she is a, number, a strong number two, a helper giver. The achiever, the motivator is number three. I'm married to one of those. The four is the individualistic, the romantic, the deep, deep feeler, one of my daughters-in-law. Struggled with this, but once she identified it in her role in ministry, has helped her to understand others who are deep feelers. Number five is the investigator, the thinker. Six is the loyalist or the skeptic. Seven is the enthusiast. Eight, the leader, the challenger. The eights want to rule the world, you know. And you can see how that would be a positive thing, and yet there's a negative side of that too. So anyway, I just wanted to sort of introduce that to you. If you uh, if you want to know more about it, again, number9types.com, or you can... Google the word Enneagram. Um, give it a try. Uh, if there's enough interest, actually, we could. We, I know a couple trained facilitators here in the Chicago area that could come and, and do the full, full test for us if you have some curiosity about that. Particularly if you're in a leadership role, it's helpful to know these things. Many of you are probably more familiar with the 16 types of the Myers-Briggs, the type indicator, uh, where you've got the extrovert, introvert uh, scales. And uh, these are really helpful, I think, too, uh, for many people. By the way, is it extrovert or extrovert? Anybody know? How many vote A? How many vote O? Well, you're kind of both right. Um, but, well, for word people, and I'm a word people, it technically is extrovert, so, but whatever, let's move on. Um, uh, but really, this extroversion, introversion signifies the source and direction of a person's energy expression. 
An extrovert's source and direction of energy expression is mainly in the external world, so they're energized by being with others. And the introvert has a source of energy mostly in their inner world. I experienced this yesterday. I was a little tired yesterday afternoon. We had done a bunch of stuff at home. I took a nap, and we had this big one-year-old birthday party to go to, and I just didn't feel very good, and I felt a little blah. I came home so charged up. I'm going, I, that was just another indicator that I'm Mr. E. I'm extra, I talked to all of my daughter-in-law and son's friends, and I came, I, I was fired up. It, it was kind of late, and I had to go to sleep, which I sleep well, but I'm an extrovert, so some of you can relate to that. The second criterion of sensing intuition represents methods by which we perceive information. Sensing means a person mainly believes information that he or she receives directly from the external world. You do research and you get your information that way, whereas intuition means that a person believes mainly information he or she receives from the internal or imaginative world, that ponderer, that internal processor. The third criterion of thinking feeling is how a person processes information. Thinking means that a person makes a decision mainly through logic. Feeling means that as a rule, he or she makes a dissipation emotion based on what they feel and they should do. When I do the Myers-Briggs, I'm kind of, I'm not a strong extrovert, and, I, and I, I'm kind of straddle line on sensing and, and, and intuition, and I'm over here on feeling. <laughs> That's my strong one, so I understand that one. The fourth criterion, judging, perceiving, reflects how a person implements the information he or she has processed. Judging means that a person organizes all of his life and events as a rule and sticks to his plans or her plans. Perceiving means that he or she is inclined to improvise and explore alternative options. And those two types drive each other crazy, just so you know. But it's just helpful. There's a lot. Of, if you want to know more about Myers-Briggs, just Google it up. You'll find a lot of things. You'll find charts like this. And then you'll find, um, actually, I had some fun. I found a chart that, that has Bible characters with all of their types, too. In fact, I, I cut it in half so you can see it a little bit better. So let's look at this. Let's take that. Yeah, there you go. Okay. So I love this because I'm an ESFJ and so is King David. So I feel really validated today. So I like that. Anybody know what your type is? What, what, what Deborah? Okay. I, I thought so. A TJ. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, good. All right. Then here's the bottom half then. there. See Mary? Mary's the pondering nurturer, ISFJ. Luke, who wrote the Gospel, Gospel of Luke and Acts, he's the ISTJ. He's the facts guy, thorough observer. Yeah, so it's kind of fun. You can take a look at that. That's maybe too much information for now. So I'm going to stop talking, which you're, some of you are going to heave a sigh of relief. And I've invited um, somebody who I know has identified herself as an introvert, and yet she's going to come speak to you. So Linda Sladke has been uh, agreed to come share a little bit of a testimony as an extrovert. Introvert. I already stole part of what you're going to say, but... A total extrovert? Hello, hello. Yeah, good. Good. I don't think anyone's a total extrovert or a total introvert. I think there's like a spectrum that we're all somewhere on there. Uh, For myself, I believe I'm pretty far past the midpoint into the introvert side. And I think some of you are probably saying, I don't believe that's true about her. Because if you've been here for maybe over five or ten years, you've seen me do some crazy dramas some silly songs, teach Sunday school, lead Bible study. But I think that's a myth about introverts, that they have to be a quiet wallflower. If I have a job or a task or a role to play, I'm good to go. But if I have to be in the narthex for that half hour between Sunday school and worship and do small talk, I think I want to die. (laughs) That's That's not for me. 
Pastor Scott asked me to share when I realized that I was an introvert. As a child, people often described me as shy, which is different than an introvert, but shy nonetheless. I took that as a negative. Usually they'd say, oh, she's shy. And I heard, don't bother trying to talk to her. It's really not going to be worth it. I think our culture in the United States values the adventurers, the people who are big personalities, the people who are extroverts. So I spent a lot of years striving to be energetic and outgoing and fun when I really would have rather been home reading a book. Not too long ago, I read a book called Quiet by Susan Cain, C-A-I-N, and the, real t- the full title is Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World that Can't Stop Talking. Very empowering if you think you're an introvert. Very insightful if someone close to you is an introvert. Uh, she has a questionnaire that helps you decide where on that spectrum you might be. And maybe you're smack in the middle, and she calls that an ambivert. I'd never heard of that before, but... Uh, She also has a great TED Talk. If you have a short attention span and don't feel like reading the whole book, I recommend her TED Talk. But Susan Cain, as she talked or wrote in her book, I felt like she was describing me. From how I felt about being in small groups as a high schooler to how I relate to the ultra-extrovert even today. But mostly... What that book did was validate, gave value to who I was created to be. So how does this fit with serving at church or work or in social situations? I know that my participation is going to be higher if the group is smaller, like two, three people. I also know that I do better thinking and uh, problem solving if I'm in solitude than at a brainstorm session. So, for example, part of my job is to meet with all of the editors and title the stories that go in the magazine. I know I'll have more to offer if I've sat with a story, let it incubate, write down my thoughts, and then enter the meeting than if I just come in cold and start spitballing ideas. So I still like to do crazy dramas and stuff, I still like to lead discussions. I like to be asked to do that instead of imposing myself on others. So that's an area I have to work on, volunteering instead of waiting to be asked. I appreciate that Scott asked me today to share my story because even though it's hard to be up here as myself and not hiding behind some costume, I like to tell my story. And it, it affirms what I believe that It's important to be listening to each other's stories. When I talk to people, I try to ask questions, not just the how are you question, but the follow-up question and the follow-up to the follow-up question so that I feel like I've really gotten to know something about someone because everybody has a story. Everybody is carrying something. And it's what I love about my job is being able to listen and give voice to people's stories Since I'm not always comfortable in a conversation with the spotlight on me, I feel like I'm uniquely fitted to ask and to listen and to give value to the people who want to share their stories.
So I'm going to slink back to the nursery now and hide there for the rest of the morning because that's all I got. <laughs> and, and I get to talk some more. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Lynn. Helpful, isn't it? Helpful. I hope that's encouraging and helpful to some of you as you perhaps have struggled with that too and been labeled that shy person or what does it mean to be an introvert? Or you have an introvert in your life that you're working with, um, either in the family or in, I really appreciate that Linda brought in the workplace in her context too. And, uh, and we've seen that in terms of our leadership team here at church. We've had to learn that about each other on our, our executive board, the five, really six of us now that Diana's part of it, uh, to understand that, um, some need information ahead of time. Some of us just want to work with it when it's all out there. And so we're sort of respecting each other on that as we, as we do our work together. The rest of the outline I'm really not going to go into. There's just some questions there about uh, relating to others, responding to opportunities, or other ways of assessing. It's in the book shape um, that we've been using in the series. I just want, if we can just jump to the very last slide, uh, Barry, that would be great. Because, again, this is really, uh, this is where we are in terms of, um, why, why we're even doing this series is not just for self-awareness, but to come to a place of, of understanding where we can say, here I am, Lord, use me, to recognize how we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as it says in Psalm 139, which was, was what the choir was singing, by the way. They were singing from Psalm 139, which speaks of the uniqueness uh, that God has built into each of us. And you may have a high-level awareness, or you might not. And so this is just a challenge to press into that awareness and to explore the areas where God would have you uh, serve. And let's just remind her again that God has equipped us. The scripture says in Ephesians 4, one of the lists of gifts is in, a spiritual gifts in Ephesians 4. It's a short list. It's a kind of a scary list for a lot of people. It's one that says evangelist, um, uh, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that, that, that list in Ephesians 4. But right after that, the Apostle Paul says that we are all connected to each other. It's very graphic language. It talks about ligaments and tendons and stuff in there in the literal language and in, in original. And to build up the body of Christ to maturity. And so we are, we are gifted in order to build up this body to maturity, to do everything that Jesus has called us to do. So let me encourage you to, to listen with that kind of heart too. Next week we'll press into what some of our experiences mean that we have had in our life, uh, even and sometimes especially the difficult and painful ones, how God uses those in terms of ministry. And then in two weeks we're going to try to wrap it up and come back to the sense of the body of Christ as we, um, as we do that. But hopefully today it will encourage you to take some time to not rush to the door, but to take some time, spend a, spend a ton of money at the bake sale, first of all. Uh, it's for the children, remember that. Anyway, uh, but seriously, to take some time around the narthex at the leadership areas to get a sense of what's going on and where is a place that you might connect as well. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the variety that there is in your people. We look around the room and there's the visible things, Lord, but we're dealing with the things that are deep inside where you have done your work through wiring us, gifting us, exposing us to opportunities to develop abilities, whatever it might be. We're grateful, Lord, and pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts as we seek to know our particular shape and the role you've called us to play in your kingdom. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen.